you're listening to Life in the Peloton with Mitch Stocker. Me. Sitting down here with Scott McGrory, Olympic gold medalist, as he's best known, and rightly so. It's an amazing, uh, amazing title to have to your name. Um, the best bit is you you pronounce my surname correctly. Most people get it wrong, Mitch. So I'm happy that you did that. Good, that's a good start. <laughs> uh, welcome to Life in the Peloton. Um, we could probably do a five part series with Scott. There's heaps of topics I want to cover with you, and. The first one I want to cover with Scott is the very beginning of how I actually got into cycling. Um, Scott was a massive influence for me. Without even knowing it. Without even knowing it, exactly. Um, Just quickly, my story is I used to watch the Tour de France like a lot of people. My dad was doing some riding casually and we, like everyone back in 2000, we wanted to go to everything at the Olympics, but we had to go on that ballad. One of the events we got was truck cycling and... Fantastically, we got the night of the Madison. What night was that? Final night of the track. Final night. Mm. And the night warmed up with Gary Newon in mm. the Curran attacking. Mm. Not often done in the Curran. Well, not often done by Gary Newon either. No. <laughs> and I was watching this and it looked like he was going to hang on right until the very end of the line. Was it Jens Fiedler? Um, no, Florian Rousseau. Right. Got him at the end. Got him right on the line. And the crowd was just erupting. And I was just like, what is this track cycling? This is amazing. Little did I know Scott and Brett were about to come on. I didn't even really know that you guys were favourites. I just didn't really know about track cycling. So, In the media, we weren't. That was the thing. We weren't the favourites coming in. Right. Because we finished 13th at the World Championships the year before because Brett happened to crash 10k to go and land on his head. And we were in second position. Long story, we won't go into it, but... um. So the media look at the favourites for all the different sports. They look at the results from the World Championships in the previous year. We were 13th and put us down as possible medal favourites, possible bronze medal. But in the peloton, um, we were seen as, as real gold medal chances. Yeah, right. In the, in the known. Yeah. yeah, the guys in the know. So this is the Madison um, 2000 Olympics. And the guys just went for it from there. And they won the gold. And I'll let Scott tell the story better than I do. But um, I was hooked from that moment, went back to Melbourne and said to the old man, is there a track that I can try this track cycling? And the short of it is the rest is history. I did track and I am here where I am today. Mm-hmm. But the story of Scott and I continued from there, um, which we can talk about. But I, I, I'm really interested because I've actually never heard the story from Scott. Mm. Your Madis- How you got to that 2000 Olympics? Well, look, I don't know if I've got enough time, mate, because, uh, <laughs> look, it is, a, it is a long story in that um, I've been to two Olympic Games as a competitor. First one was 1988, so I was, I'd like to say I was 12, but yeah. I wasn't, I was 18, so I was still only a youngster. Um, came away with the bronze medal in the team pursuit, and then in the end basically had a falling out with, with the system, with the national coach, you know, and I was young and arrogant and, and stupid and um, just didn't get along with the national coach, and oh, within a couple of seasons I was out of the system. So didn't get to go to 92, didn't get to go to 96, 
and my Olympic gold medal dream, which you know, as an 18 year old with a bronze medal, I'm thinking there's a pretty good chance mm. I can get a gold medal somewhere. Sure. But that faded pretty quickly, you know, mm. or say quickly, took eight years and two Olympic cycles for it to fade. But Is that because you were just out of the system or purely, or you were just like at that time also out of the system and not producing the results? Oh, look, for, for 92, I truly believe I was good enough. And back then, it was, we were only really, really talking about the team pursuit. So yeah. trying to get into, say, a five-man group of riders to ride the team pursuit. Um, and I truly believe that I was good enough. And, and the two best riders going into the 92 um, team or squad was Brett Aiken and Stephen McGlee. Mm-hmm. And when I didn't make the team, both of them separately told me that they would have, if they had to choose the team and rank the riders in order, mm-hmm. they would have put themselves at one or two. Um, and they would have put me at number three or four. Mm. Now, they chose eight riders in the initial squad. Yeah, right. And I wasn't in it. So, you know, it was pretty clear that there was a personality issue and that's why I wasn't going to be selected. Um, so, 96, I didn't even bother trying out for it. Um, and in the meantime, I was still riding bikes. I still love cycling. And I actually learned during that, that phase when I wasn't part of the national program how much I did love cycling. Mm. And, you know, so, so many of my... Um, my colleagues from back then just faded away. If they didn't make a national team, they just dis- just disappeared and, and don't ride bikes at all anymore. Mm. Whereas you know, I kept lo- I, lo- I love cycling, so I kept at it. Were you racing then, though? So- yeah, absolutely. Look, I ne- never stopped. Road. Never stopped. Road and track and, and oh. whatever I could do. So when I first left the AIS, I just focused on the track. Um, you know, I did a lot of the Australian Carnival series, but yeah. back in there was there was a lot more Aussie domestic racing, especially on the track. There was a lot more going on. Um, and then finished a, an Aussie summer and thought, well, okay, it's a long time to the next summer. What am I going to do? <laughs> um, so then thought, well, I've got to get back on the road and start racing on the road. And I think the track endurance stuff, because I was sort of scarred, I guess, from the team pursuit and that whole track endurance field, I was hesitant to get back into it. Mm. But then once I realised there was no other path for me, I wasn't a pure sprinter, so I had to go to endurance. Um, or back to endurance, then... Track then endurance, you mean? Track endurance yeah. and road. Yeah, right. Yeah, And look, as we know now with, with so many of the trackies that, you know, there, there is two different types of cyclists mm-hmm. now. You know, you've got yeah. track sprinters yeah. and then everybody else. Yeah, you right. know, your team pursuiters through to your roadies, you know, and look at Peter Kenyig and these guys and we go, they're all trackies. Yeah. Um, but now they're just focused on the road. So it took a, a few years to really sort myself out, kept racing um, and... In '94, probably saving grace was I signed up with the Jayco team. Oh yeah, so right. So the very first professional, fully fledged professional team in Australia. The original Green Edge team is the original team. Could probably. you loosely call it that? You, well, you could. Because look, it was Jerry Ryan, and, and it truly was. Like there was there were semi professional teams back then, whereas we were the first team where everyone was paid to only ride their bikes, and that was oh. the first in Australia. Um, so then that really got me onto the road scene, and eventually a couple of seasons in America. I thought, well, this is not where I really need to be at. I need to get to Europe. Mm. So went back to Europe in 96, rode for a team. Then the owner was into the six days. He, he was the organiser of the Dortmund six day. So the six days is six days of track racing, Madison racing. Absolutely. So let's yeah, yeah, let's break it, that down. Yeah, so the, the Madison it. that I won in Sydney, the six days, which are they are six days long, um, on indoor tracks in Europe specifically, are based around the Madison race. Mm-hmm. So I started getting into those in Europe um, in the professional scene in 96, so over the next three years, I became pretty accomplished in that field. Was that, was that at the time then, was that purely like, this is a good chance for me to race Madison's and on the track? Or was that like, 
look, I'm pretty good at Madison's and also I can earn a bit of cash here on the side. Were they financially good or not? It was, yeah, it was financially very good. Yeah, and right. that scene isn't anywhere near as good as it, it, it used to be. Was that um, the now, appeal so. though at the time or were you just like, I can kill oh, two birds with one stone, cash no, and loved make it. me better? Lo- loved, loved the six days. Yeah. I wrote a couple of amateur six days early in the early 90s. Yeah, okay. Um, I used to get videos sent from Europe of the six days back oh, you know, okay. when, I, when I was a kid before the 88 Olympics when I was 15, 16. Oh. I was you know, buying VHS videos out of Europe that showed, you know, Paris six day and, and London six day and, you know, and a bunch of the races. So I was hooked on it. I always knew I wanted to do mm. it, um, but just didn't think I'd get to Europe to eventually do it. Now, I ended up doing that. Um, then it's a pretty good cash cow on top mm. of that. Now, yeah. the, the, the kicker is um, if you perform well, then other six-day organisers will then give you a contract to ride their races. So mm. my first season, I started racing rode pretty good in the first couple of races and I didn't know I started the season thinking well look you know if I can get three or four races that'd be great I ended up doing 10 in my first season yeah, right. so that's right through the European winter then of course that leads into the next road season so halfway through the next road season I was cooked I've been racing <laughs> right through the whole winter the year before and let alone all that time away from home because I know at the end of my road season I'm ready to go home yeah forget about that that's that was especially when you do it so I, I spent summers racing the road in Europe getting whatever little break in I could at the start and finish of each season, and then straight into the European winter. So you were fully pledged Euro yeah. day one, yeah. practically. Yeah, there's a few times we didn't come back at all. Um, but look, you know, times when, when I'd, uh, I'd make the effort to come back, and if it was only for, say, three weeks, we'd come back to Australia just to, to get a break and get out of Europe. Um, but then that led to 99, yep. and, of course, the, the Madison gets announced to be in the Olympics for the first time. Ah, is that right? I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so 2000 was the first time. So how, like, ridiculous is that goal? So I didn't even think about all that. Yeah, so it wasn't even on the radar. So the Olympics were gone for me. I wasn't going to get back into the team pursuit. Um, You know, they wouldn't select me for any other events. And all of a sudden, hang on, now they're going to put the Madison into the Olympic Games and it's going to be in Sydney, my home games. Mm. And I'm one. Of, I'm the only, really, the only Australian at that point. Because you had Matthew Gilmore, who was also an Australian, but he, he registered as a Belgian, so he was racing as a Belgian six-day rider, mm. and eventually got the silver medal at the yeah. Sydney Olympics riding for Belgium, not for Australia. Um, so I was the only rider in the age bracket with the experience, with the ability to be, you know, a world-class level yeah. six-day rider or Madison rider. And now they've put my event in the Olympic Games. So it's like brilliant. Here we go. Try and not select me now. Well, and that was the catch. That was the catch because you're still on the outer. Still the same national coach. So I was thinking. I was sitting in Germany, living in Germany at the time. So I was sitting in my apartment for for a couple of weeks, thinking, I have to make the call. I've got to call Charlie Walsh, who was the national coach, <laughs> and I've got to, you know, I've got to, I've got to build a bridge, and, and I want to do this. I've got to get in. And then I came home from training one day, and and. Um, this may sound foreign to you, Mitch, but I had to press play on the answering machine. Yeah, and the, I was going to say, how did you even call him? No Skype. No, none of that, mate. <laughs> and the little tape started going around and, and the message came through. It was Charlie Walsh had called. and He'd called you. called me and uh, said, look, he'd been following me through my six-day career. He's really happy with how well I'd been riding. Um, and he was asking if I could come in and ride the World Championships yeah. because the 99 Worlds were the qualifiers for the, the Olympics the next year. So for me, it was a little victory that I didn't have to call him, that he called me first. So, okay, sure. right, That's little victory, great. let's move on. So yeah. I called him back, said, absolutely, Charlie. Went and had a meeting with him, told him that, look, there's been a lot of um, water under the bridge as far as I'm concerned. I don't care, I'm a professional, I want to win. I know why you'd like me to come in. Let's just do this and be professionals. 
So get to the Worlds, we were in the silver medal position with 10K to go. Mm. Ten, Top, how many laps is that? Uh, 240, well, 10K, 60, 60 laps, 10K to well, go. How long was the matter? 60K back then. So it's shorter now. Yeah. So it used to 60 kilometres. Uh, it's now 50 at the Worlds and 40 at the World Cups, which is, yeah. it's a joke. It's a sprint. Yeah, it's exactly. too short. But anyway, um, so Brett crashed, 60, uh, 10 laps, to, uh, 10K to go. And um, uh, we're in the silver medal position. Um, and there was a bit of confusion around the crash and what had happened because he was in the race when it happened. Um, and then I had to go into the race and stay there f- on my own mm. and just survive the last 10 kilometres. Because just in case... We've been talking all this time about Madison's, but just in mm. case people don't realise, a Madison is a two-person event where on the velodrome, 250-metre track, where you're changing over every two laps? Two, about two and a half laps yeah, or two so. two and a half laps. Yeah. And you're one team, so essentially you're two riders as one man, one mm. superman. It's in a relay. Race. It's a relay. It's a relay. Exactly. Grab the hand of your teammates, sling him in, and then he goes into the action. And it's look, the challenge of the Madison is you've got to think five laps ahead because there's going to be a change with your partner then you're going to be two and a half laps out of the race then you come back in so you really got to think a long way ahead and become you know i think it's a, it's a real thinking riders event that's why i really enjoyed it um, at this point though when your riders not in you're racing essentially against two people because the other teams are still tra- changing mm. getting fresh guys in every two laps but you you were there solo while brett was crashed mm. it's like doing the four by 100 relay on your own yeah. and trying to hang in there not trying to win it you're just trying to hang in yeah right so then what happened yeah. so in the end um i've stayed with them so uh, i was able to stay in the bunch for the, the last um, 10k and then looked up and they adjusted the scoreboard because of the crash and there was some mis- some confusion with laps and whatever and we'd lost a lap during the crash so i looked up and it flashed up that we finished 13th with the top 14 teams qualifying for the olympics so we were racing for the gold to win oh, the world championship. That was the qualifications. Yeah, and just in the end scraped in to actually qualify. Shit. So we're in. All good. And I'm full of confidence. There's a quote that I found um, that I made. And I remember actually making the quote now to the journalist as I was warming down on the rollers after the, the Worlds. And Brett's off to hospital. He's mm. been ambulance to hospital, head split open. So you I, just wrote the last 10 on your own? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he came back in. No, Sorry. no, 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 no. He's I'm knocked out. So Brett crashed. Land on his 60 head. 60 laps. Split it Solo. Open. Mm. So he split his head open and, and he's unconscious and they've taken him to hospital. And I'm, and I'm warming down on the rollers afterwards and everyone's coming up and saying, oh, great ride, great ride. Great, yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever. You know, pissed off because we didn't win the world. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and the quote was, if Brett and I, because it wasn't clear that we would be the team. We, yeah. just had, we were just qualifying. You qualifying Australia. Exactly. So I said, if Brett and I are paired together in Sydney... Barring any major incident like a crash, we will win. Yeah. You said that. That's what I said. And when I look at it, like I've brought that up on, a, on a corporate talks and I've brought that up on the, on the board. And you look at it and say, you know, we will win. Yeah. It's 12 months out. And I say, oh, gee. You know, if you don't know me, you might say that, like, that has been pretty bloody arrogant. Yeah. Um, but I remember actually giving that quote. It was just pure fact in my mind you felt it that you in the, in the we're good enough we're good yeah. enough to do this we've yeah. got the skills the expertise the, the respect and trust in each other um if we don't crash we should win yeah. you know it's clear um, so then fast forward like now to the to the actual games like did you and brett do some preparation that year together or what was the we, did, we did we did a few races together we actually this is the strange thing is we didn't actually race for for an event that is incredibly technical and you know it you've ridden you've ridden track world cups yourself in the yeah. madison so 
it's it takes to have consistency in a Madison or in a six day it takes a lot of experience uh, whereas Brett and I were individually very experienced but we hadn't raced a lot together, together. we won a national championship together we won a World Cup together um, we won an open race over in Europe as well as part of the lead up mm. preparation you almost need to know how each other thinks. It's like, Very much so. I know Scott's attacking now. That's good because this, this, and this. You don't even need to sp- speak, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, because for half of the race, you're not in there. You've got no control over it. Yeah, so you have true. to have the respect um, and the knowledge on the other half of the, of the track as well. So, um, so look, we, we didn't do a lot of racing together, not that much training together either, but we spoke a lot. Now, the, the big challenge was... What, like, as friends... As mates, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we spoke a lot. You know, we knew where he was off with the team pursuit squad. I was as a professional racing for Team Gerolsteiner on the road. Um, so we just we did speak a lot um, mm. and you know communicate quite a bit to make sure that we knew where we were, mm. regardless of where our teams, either national or professional, were, were at. Um, and the biggest challenge, obviously, for me is now I get this all the time. What was it like to win in Sydney? It must have been so special. What, and the Sydney part or the just winning the Olympics? Part? Just the, the Olympics. Like, actually, just to win the Olympic Games, it doesn't matter where it is, obviously it's more special for us because it was in Australia. Um, and I find it really difficult to answer honestly yeah. because the truth was, back at the World Championships the year before, my wife Donna was pregnant. Yeah. Um, it was a really difficult pregnancy. And as we get into 2000, our son Alexander was born. Three days after he was born, they picked up a heart problem. Um, he required immediate surgery to, to try and correct it. They did the best they could to start with. And then there was this up and down of him requiring lots of different surgeries and procedures. Uh, and this is now we're only months away from the Games. Yeah. And I'm back and forth from Europe to Australia. And in the end, I'm wondering whether I could even continue going to the Games. At that point, you probably didn't even care. Then you're it's, like, I, the thing I care about the most is the family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yet still... Going out on the bike and riding, doing whatever you can, thinking, well, look, I've got to try and keep things happening, mm. and then coming back. And then it got to a point where Alexander was getting fairly stable, and um, Donna said, okay, look, it's not that long to go to the Games now. You, you've got to go back to Europe. Get back to Europe. Mm. He's going to be okay. You know, he's still in intensive care in, you know, the, um, in the Royal Children's in Melbourne. Get to Europe and just get back into your, to your system so you can start you know, training and racing uh, to get ready for the Games. And I was only back there for... About three weeks or so, and um, got the phone call from Donna saying, "Look, he requires in, in another emergency surgery. You've got to get back here. They're a little bit worried about how it's going to go." Yeah. So I jumped on a plane that night, um, flew from from Germany, landed in Singapore, knowing that the operation had already taken oh, place. Shit. Rang Donna to find out how everything went, knowing I had a three-hour stopover and I've got to get on a plane to Melbourne. Um, and she was just quite factual actually, um, said okay, uh, they've nicked a valve in his heart which put him into cardiac arrest, he's on life support but effectively he's gone and they don't expect him to survive through the night for when you arrive. Jesus. And it was like, oh okay, that wasn't the news I was expecting. Fuck no. And, and whenever I go, whenever I fly now is one thing, but whenever I go through Singapore, Changi Airport, um, it's an amazing thing it's one of the busiest airports in the world Fine. and all I wanted to do was find somewhere private yeah. because I was, I was absolutely devastated. I was a babbling mess yeah. trying to come to grips with, with what I'd just been told um, 
and with airports there is no privacy they're built for security you yeah. can't go and find somewhere to hide away you can't see and, I, and all, I, all I could see was people walking past just looking at me funny because I was absolute mess I was just pulling my eyes out Christ got on the plane and then flew um, to Melbourne getting in um, uh, and the thing with planes is you get on an international flight it doesn't matter if you're in first business or, or economy it's still that same that same drum that droning noise mm. whatever flight you're on and now every time I go on a long haul flight, it just brings me back Shit. to that flight. Um, so, and look, and I don't avoid yeah, flying. Yeah. I don't avoid flying because of it, but it's, it's amazing I distract what myself. It, yeah. Now I get on flights um, and, you, all right, what movies are on? I'll just watch a movie, watch a movie, watch a movie, read a book, read a book, watch a movie, you know, trying yeah. to sleep because I'm just trying to distract myself because I know I'll just slip back into 16 years ago and, and what that flight was like. So I landed in Melbourne um, the uh, customs had been informed of what had happened and I was flying in. So they got me through as quickly as possible. Wow. Yeah, got me through as quickly as possible. Donna's sister came to pick me up from the airport straight to the hospital. Um, and while they were saying the doctors were, were expecting him not to survive, he was alive when I got to, to the hospital. Um, and it was around about 45 minutes I had with him and then he passed away. Mm. Now that was two and a half months before... Sydney. That puts the games in perspective now. Well, my preparation to that point had been, for what I expected, terrible. It had been really up and down anyway. And now, two and a half months out, our son's just passed away. Um, So I just said to Donald, well, this is ridiculous. Look, it's traumatic. Anyone that's been through these sorts of situations, it is just unbearably traumatic. and Unimaginable. I said, well, that's it. No, it's not bother with the games. Um, I, I could not see myself... Well, I said, not bother. Let's, it's the Olympic Games. It's mm. my, my second and possibly last chance. It's 12 years since my last attempt. Mm. Um, it's not, probably not going to come around again for me. And that did not matter. Yeah. Didn't give a damn. You know, it was, look, we've lost our son. This is stupid. That is just a sporting event. Mm. Um, after the funeral, um, Donna then pulled me aside and said... Um, you know what, I'm going to get on a plane, go back to Europe, and you're going to keep going. And I said, well, it's stupid. I'm the one that's got to get on a bike every day. Mentally, I'm so unstable. Um, she said, well, it doesn't matter. All you have to do is get on the bike. That's all you have to do. Yeah. I'll do everything else. Let's go back to our house in, in Germany. You get on the bike. I'll push you out the door. I'll have everything else, everything else sorted. So for the next couple of months, we just sort of struggled through. Mm. Um, and I trained... And with all of this, because the preparation was so up and down, I was really starting to doubt where I was at as an athlete, yeah. let alone as a grieving parent. As a purely physical athlete. You're yeah. like, I don't even think I am ready. No, and that's exactly... And we, we all go through it as an athlete. You, you think, you know, and sometimes you, you perform better when you, you, well, you... You perform better than you expected because you didn't think your preparation was so good. But mine was horrendous for so long. Yeah. However, there were days, I remember, because I was doing my own coaching, so I was part of the national team, but I was my own coach, and um, I'd set two days in a row uh, as a bit of a test for myself anyway, and the first, uh, both exactly the same programs, road road, uh, circuit, five hours long, bunch of climbs, and went out and hit the first hill, and it started to rain. And I remember just putting my, my rain vest on, and then just started going for it up this climb. 
and I've and it's run pretty heavy and I've, I've looked up to the sky and I've, I don't know what I'm looking up to right I'm just I've looked up and I'm just like just bring it on ah, bring let's it go. on and I, I truly I wanted it to rain harder I wanted the wind to pick up and I just smashed it for five hours and I came back and I was like oh, I felt inspired I felt inspired next day I went out to do exactly the same ride and I got 20 minutes in and decided and made the decision that I better pull over here because I couldn't see the traffic. I was crying so much that the traffic was just blurred in yeah. my vision. And I thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to have a crash. I'm going to get hit by a car. So I'll I pulled over and just bawled my eyes out for a few minutes on the side of the road, composed myself, turned around and went home. So it was 40 minutes of nothing for the day. Yeah. And that's the roller coaster that, wow. I, that I, I found myself on. Now, what that was all leading to was as every day and week got closer, my self-doubt, like, so that that quote from the year before, that we will win if we ride together, if we don't crash, yeah. I'm at the point where I'm just crap now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a fraction of what I was 12 months ago. And that led to, we get to Sydney. Um, but just before that, just there's something I've heard you say before about Donna. Mm. Um, and it's something nowhere even close to, to those extremes you just spoke about, but was something that I was able to relate to is that and to pull it back even to a more funny thing it's like think of we probably should actually bring yeah. some humour back into okay, it yeah. yeah think of um, Rocky I don't know if you've seen you've obviously seen Rocky 4 yeah and he goes out and um, oh no Rocky 3 sorry and um, that's against Drago yeah no no it's no. against Clubber Lang Clubber Lang yeah <laughs> you know your yeah. Rockies and um, Adrian, Rocky's wife, comes up to him and she goes, you know, he's going through some tough times and whatever, and Mickey passed away. And um, she goes up to Rocky and she's like, you know, he didn't want to fight or whatever. She goes, no, win, win, you know. And there's been times where, and he's just like, yeah, and the music comes on and he does a montage and mm-hmm. he goes and wins. But Music would have helped, right? If we had some music <laughs> yeah. in Sydney, it would have been great. And... <laughs> The funny thing is, there's moments like that I have with my wife, Lydia, mm. and there's nowhere close to the points that you were saying, but there's points where I'm just, I'm self-doubting or whatever, and it's just that point, and you just said it with Donna before, she's like, nah, let's jump back on the plane, let's get back to mm. Europe, and she's pushing out the door, and it's those triggers, those people, that only that one person that could say it to you, if anyone else had said it to you, you would have been like, nah, oh, you yeah. don't know, piss off, whatever. Was yeah. that like that with Donna? Then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you... you if anyone else would to say it to you, you felt like you're being patronised. Yeah. Whereas with Donna, it's like, okay, yeah, no, I, I totally respect what you're saying now. Um, and it, yeah, it does, some, it takes someone else. And I know this, I've learned this in coaching you know, later in my, my second career, was just to, to step back and look at the different perspectives, yeah. the different views of each situation. You know, the athlete's going through one particular situation and they see it a certain way, but, you know, how are their parents looking at this situation? How's the coach going to be looking at it? And the sports yeah. scientist and just take... A step back and that's I guess where you've got a very personal connection with someone like my wife yeah but she is that one degree of separation mm. that has the amount of respect from me as the individual um, to be able to make a real difference and give you a different perspective of the situation look um, for for eventually winning the gold medal you know it's as much Donna's as it is mine like I, I wasn't going mm. I'd quit but uh, she was the one that you know gave me the kick in the ass. So yeah, then back to that point where you said before, when people come up to ask you and go, "What did it feel like to win the gold?" This is what 
weight was behind it. Oh, and, you yeah. know, and now, yeah. just to pick up where you were just going before, you said mm. now I'm meeting up with, what was it? You were meeting up with Brett now, um, mm. just before the games. Oh, well, yeah, so, yeah, so we get to the games themselves. And there's a couple of things that happened just before it, but um, like my self-doubt was, was so... Shot. Oh, my, it was ridiculously... Uh, at a ridiculous point where um, I'm now starting to um, feel bad about letting Brett down. Mm. We haven't even got to the point, you know, where we're he actually going He obviously knew what was going on. Was well, he, he ever questioning, mate, maybe you shouldn't? Uh, no, look, it was different because Brett's... You know, there's a whole other story on Brett's side. You know, yeah. at the end of 99, his daughter, Ashley, had been diagnosed with Rett syndrome. So she's only a toddler. Right. And they'd come into grips with understanding that that meant she was never really going to grow up mentally to mature into an, Adelaide, uh, into an adult. You know, it's incredibly debilitating disease that only affects women or girls. Um, so they were really struggling to come to grips with that. And there's, on the other side, you know, we've lost a son, um, you know, so... And do you, think, do you think at any point that maybe this was a bond that made you guys even stronger? It was oh, like, absolutely. Mate, I'm, eventually I know what it's going through. Yeah, look, I've eventually. got your back because I'm mm. going through that too. Yeah, yeah. It is, and that's the thing that, that we see now. That's the bond that we share now as yeah. well. But um, it got to the point where it's race day, okay? Yeah. Um, and I wake up sharing a room with Brett and I've, I've looked across and he was still asleep or at least I thought he was or hoped he was and I whispered to him, I'm sorry, mate. Wow. And then I paused to wait to see if he heard. Did he say anything? Okay, and then he rolled over and we got out of bed and he didn't say anything, he didn't hear it and went and had breakfast. But I woke up the morning of the Olympics for the, of the Madison and apologised to my, my you, racing partner. you felt that you weren't going to win. I truly believe that, that I wasn't in a physical condition at this point to be able to help him win a gold medal. I know, and this is something I deal with every race and something that I, I try and get better and better at because I know at the top end, I hope that we're all pretty level physically. Mm. You know, we're... There's only small degrees, and I know that on the race day, it's a hell of a lot to do with that mental approach. Absolutely. And I can't even imagine going into a race, well, I can actually imagine going into a race where I think, one, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to win, I'm just going to get dropped, or I'm not even going to perform, and then somehow coming out on top, how the hell did you ever twist that around? Yeah, well, that was the, the, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's the bizarre, for me, this is the bizarre thing in all of this, is how... Um, I, I, I say I knew that we were going to lose. I knew that I was going to let Brett down. Well, that's obviously what I believed was going to be the case. So we had breakfast. We went on our morning ride, talk tactics. We knew our, you know, we just we, we knew everything. We knew what, you know, all the other teams were going to try and do, yeah. who the sprinters were, who the guys were going to try and take a lap. Um, so we just went over that, brushed up the way we were going to do the race, who was going to do the sprints. Um, and, and in my mind, I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm just giving him lip service here. This is, you know, I'm just blocking my way through. Yeah, yeah, this is what we should be doing, but God, I'm going to let him down. Um, now, we've had so much support, and, and from his family as well, because of what you know, they were going through with, with their daughter, Ashley. So we had so much support from everybody, and, and even also Charlie Walsh and the national team. Yeah. They were giving us an enormous amount of support as well. Um, and I truly think that Charlie, at 
so at one point probably would have liked to have just replaced me for someone else. Mm. I'm sure he could see that things weren't going as well as they should have. Um, so thankfully he didn't. But uh, my professional team on the road, Gerald Steiner, Hans Holzer was the, the, the manager and DS there, gave us great support as well. So we had all these fantastic people behind us and behind mm. me and our, my, our family, of course, helping. Got to the track and met the families. So Donna and you know my parents were there and... and brother and sister and um this is not family this is not off we're walking in this is two and a half hours before two hours before the race we're walking in ready to go and everyone's just full of confidence they're all like oh this is fantastic you guys are gonna win and the whole time i'm thinking no we're not no we're not i'm sorry guys you know and donna's full of confidence and teary and oh wow we're here we've made it you know still now just shitting yourself still and i've of, um, and I know on Brett's side, Brett's saying he knew we were going to win when, when he saw his daughter's eyes. When he looked into to the face of, of Ashley, he said, oh, I had so much confidence He's we like, were going to win. There's no, there's no, no fucking gonna way, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. way I'm going to lose And this. that's, you know, look, it's a team, isn't it? So he's, half the team is super confident. I was 12 months before, yeah. but now I'm walking in thinking, holy crap, you know, mm. what am I doing? So we've walked into the infield. And that was the first time we walked into the infield, put our bags down, and we've got a bit of time before we need to start preparing and warming up. And I sat down, and we got 6,000 people, you, one of them. Yeah, you know, I just sat down, I remember that. I remember you putting your bag down. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure you do. And, um, and I stood there and I thought, right, we've got all these people here, I've had so much support, and yet the race is going to happen now, and I'm going to be in it, right? It's going to start. Yeah. They're not going to say, hey, guys, we need another three months. We've yeah. got to get his head sorted. You yeah, know, right. It's going to happen. It's happening tonight. And I thought, well, this is crap. I I cannot start this race with this mindset. You and realized it. it. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it got to a point where, well, this is just stupid. I have, How am I going to turn this around? And there's wow. no one else who could do it now because I've just said goodbye to Donna and my family. Um, 6,000 people watching on. They don't know what the hell's going on. They don't know the story, you know. This is pretty big also that you can actually catch yourself out here because a lot of people would just mm. go, just get this over with. I'm just going to do it, get out there and do it and get the hell out of here because yeah. I want to, don't want to be here. But for mm. you to actually go, I'm in a shithead space, wake up, Scott, and pull yourself out of it. Well, I had probably the best reason, the best excuse yeah. to, to, to roll with at the end if we lost. Yeah. Hey, look, my son died two yeah, months exactly, ago. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Heaps there of scapegoats. A, heaps. I thought, well, no, this is, this is crap. I've got to do something about this. So I actually I picked up my chair and walked away from the Aussie team um, from our camp and just went and sat on my own away from everybody and then just sat down and then gave myself you know, that half-time country footy coach's speech yeah, right. where I just ripped into myself. And it was all about, okay, you're full of self-doubt, self-pity, Oh, poor me. It's all so hard. It's all been so bad. No one gives a shit. No one else out there. Like, they all feel for you. But the people you're about to go into battle with or against, they don't give a shit. They still want to beat you. They want to win. So it's going to happen. The race is going to start. Just go out there with whatever you've got and let's see what you can come up with. And mm. and it was like something just switched on in my head. Wow. And it was, I'd gone from... I am racked with self-doubt to, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm not as good as I could be or should be to contest an Olympic Games, but I'm here, so let's see what I can get out of it. And all my, I turned it into, and I, at the time I didn't think of it. I didn't realise. I was just, I'm trying, oh, I'm going to get myself yeah. pe- you know, pepped up. 
In hindsight, you realise, holy shit, that speech was the turning point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. But at the time, you're like, yeah, okay, I've done my best. Yeah. It's like, come on, dickhead, let's, yeah. let's get yeah. out there. You know, you've got to do this thing. But it was, I turned it into a new challenge. Yeah, right. Okay, let's see what I can make from this, knowing that I'm not at my best. Okay, this will be interesting. Can I still win? All right, let's go out and see. Wow. And I got on the rollers, started warming up, and I warmed up with confidence again. Mm. And the more I warmed up, the more I felt good in my body, and the more the training that I had done obviously was enough. Like, we won. So obviously I had trained yeah. enough. It was just my self-doubt about what I thought we should have done, had done. So I felt good warming up, and then got to the point where now coming up onto the track, and I was one of the last riders to line up, and come up, uh, we had Gary Sutton, one of the national coach oh, yeah. now with the uh, the women, and he was pushing me up the ramp to get up into the infield. And you've raced on the track, you know what yep. it's like. So coming up on the infield, and I've looked up to see all the other riders lined up on the fence, and I remember looking up thinking, "You guys are suckers." Ah, it's back. It's back. The I was on. Is back. I was on, and it was and it was like you know it sounds corny, but I said that I thought, "You guys are suckers. This is ours." Well, I never raced you. Sorry to interrupt. Mm. I never raced you, but is that your trait that you were a bit of a confident sort of dude? Like when you raced the six days, you're like, uh, or was that really weird for you to be like that? You knew when you had that confidence, you're like, "Holy shit, I'm on." Or were you uh, always like that? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. Like I think I was uh, tactically astute kind yeah. of rider, and yeah. I would always. Um, you know, it's kind of like you know your teammate now, Caleb. You know, kind of, and Simon Gerrans is a good one. Where um, they look, they may be super confident, but they can find a way. It's like, almost like they've got an obligation that they have to get to the line first. So they're going to find a way to make it happen. And I think I was a bit like that. That you know, maybe I wasn't the you know the old sort of you get to a hill and maybe I'm not the best climber, but I'll start at the front and just drift through ah, the peloton. Right, so I'm yeah. still there. Over Very it. clever. And just yeah, finding a way to achieve your goal. Mm. Um, so, but to, to start that with confidence, it just took me back 12 months mm. to, you know what, we are the possibly the best team in the world. We should be able to win this if all things are equal. And well, maybe they're not equal, but let's see if we can still win it. And, and eventually turned it around and started with full of confidence. And we, look, we took control mm. of the race. We, we had, I would say, it was, there's never a perfect Madison because there are so many things that do happen and go wrong. And Brett, um, you know, had spoke tripped out his front wheel, had to change a wheel at one point. I almost got chopped in half by my German Gerolsteiner teammate who was riding for Germany there. He cut me in half during a change when I could have gone down then and crashed out. Um, but I guess as good as a Madison can be run, it was near perfect at what, the way we conducted it. At what point there in that Madison did you know you had it won? Second last sprint, so sprint every 20 laps for yeah. points in a, in a Madison event, five, three, two, and one points. And we knew that if we scored any points in the second last sprint, then we'd have enough points to not be beaten on points. The only th- way we could get beaten is if a team took a lap, yeah. and it was going to be highly unlikely any team was going to take a lap in the last 20 because we'd, you know, we'd control it and shut it down. So we scored points in the second last sprint, and the next change was it was almost like a handshake. That's like, what I was about to right. say, yeah, because We've got it. in a change, sometimes you can say something quickly like, attack next lap, you know, yeah. or like, um, mm. well done, mate, yeah. or yeah, don't do that again. You know, like they're the sort of comments, I don't know, what little yeah, comments you make, yeah, yeah, yeah. that sort of stuff. There's like, not much time, but we did talk, you know, yeah. we, we made sure that, you know, we knew exactly what we were trying to communicate to each other. So it was on those changes, because I remember a race that I've done, Bendigo Madison, mm. where you're from, and Zach Dempster and I, young guys underestimated at at some point I think it was like 20 laps ago we knew that we were going to win it mm. 
And I remember those changes and you're saying little things like, we've got it, you know, and the next time like, yeah. oh, I can't believe it, you know, and there's little changes like that. It's like a conversation over, you know, something else. Did you have like little things like that? Yes. You yeah. Know? Oh, it wasn't, wasn't, um, it wasn't the high pitched ones, but yeah. it was, it was more like, you know, like knowing, so early on we, we'd, um, we, early on we had, uh, so like Brad Wiggins was fourth, right? He wrote, oh, did we go right? Yeah, we go right. And, and they picked up the first two sprints mm. by attacking before the sprint started, so a few laps out. So they picked up a few points, and they actually led for the first sort of third of the race from those points that they picked up really early on. But they didn't pick up any points from the halfway point. So in those first early sprints, I remember saying to, to Brett, you know, these placings are killing us, mm. meaning we've got to nail it. Five, three, two, and one points. So much easier if you pick up two sprints for five points each, yeah. 10 points, you've got a big buffer over everybody else. Um, so we just and it know, costs just as much effort, actually. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Now, well, in their case, because they attacked before the sprints, the mm. Brits, then they put in far too much effort to yeah. get those early points because you know they cooked them towards the end. Uh, but we were very consistent through all the sprints. So yeah. Coming to that last, that second last one, you know, there was the vote of confidence, get points, and we've got it, um, which we picked up points and we knew. And then, then there was an attack from, from the Swiss team. We were waiting for it all, all night. All night, yeah. Yep. Then they went on the attack, but we controlled that. It was dangerous. Like, they got over half a lap. Really? Us. Yeah. Um, but we were sort of, we were in control. We, we neutralised that one. Um, and for me, it was, this is the other stuff about the Madison. I won't bore you with the technical nature of it. But, you know, when I was out of the race, then I was looking at the, the posture and the, the body yeah, language right. of the, the, the Swiss riders trying to take the lap on us you know and just judging whether i thought mm. they were still they strong or not yeah. yeah and one was still riding strong the other one was really starting to blow and i thought no oh, no no they're not going to make it we just, just had interest who was the, the swiss team bruno rizzi yep. so one of the, the greatest madison riders yep. of all time and kurt batchard oh, right. so he's close friends and they rode together as a team throughout the six days so as a, as a partnership they were a fantastic team but bruno was the stronger of the yep. two and i could see that kurt was really starting to struggle um, and even though I wasn't in the race chasing, I knew that when I do come in next time, we'll be able to shut this one down. Yeah, you had confidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what that led to, though, was we shut them down. We got to inside the last uh, 10 laps and everything had been game face on. You know, we were doing everything the best we could as professionals. We had our game plan. And then I sort of started to think about everything we'd been through. And it got to a point where, you know, thinking about Donna and... Alexander and everything we'd gone through and how hard it had been and you know Singapore and the flight and all that wow. stuff and and I started to cry you know I started to tear up again and it was like oh come on come on we haven't crossed the line yet yeah. you know think about what you're doing here so I had to snap out of that compose myself again and right into business cross the line and, and I was the one that, that crossed the line Brett was out of the race at the time so I crossed the line and um you know, the crowd's going nuts. And, and you could hear the crowd in Sydney. It was just, mm. they were really big winders. And it was growing. I for that. Yeah, as it got closer and closer to the point where it was clear we were going to win or we getting more likely that we were going to win, the crowd just got louder and louder and louder. And so I was able to, I was soaking that up as the winners, but at the same time, fixed gear on the track. You know, I, I would have just slammed the brakes on if I had them and went straight to the fence to see yeah. Donna. So by the time I got to Donna, um... It was, she puts it best. She said that that moment, um, and we hadn't spoken about this, but it was about, okay, let's just just go to the Olympics. Just finish the year off. Yeah. And, and her, her rationale was, if you don't continue to go, if you don't try at least to do the Sydney Games, then 
we'll get to the end of this year and you'll have given up on the games and Alexander's still going to be dead. Yeah. What are we going to have? Nothing. And I, I think she could see five years into the future and ten years into the future. You know, where would I be this is what mentally we need, yeah. had if... Um, and where would she be if if we had just walked away from it? You know, mm. I wouldn't be the Olympic gold medalist. We wouldn't have gone through it all and we still wouldn't have our son. Um, so I'm obviously very thankful for her for, her for pushing me through it. But when for we got to the fence... Way. Uh, she said winning the, 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 the medal was crossing the line was the moment where she felt that we could exhale wow six months or so or eight months of, of just holding our breath and especially the, the last few months and it was now yeah. now is the time that we can be grieving parents wow. because we've been pretending to not grieve for the last few months and of course we just won the first track cycling gold medal for Australia in 16 years and I had the road race to do the following week so there was no time to exhale I had to get you know there was media and press and so many commitments that we were just yeah. flat chat when all we really wanted to do like we actually left the village yeah. so Don and I got an apartment and, and with permission from the national team went and got an apartment and stayed out of the village um, mm. for during my preparation for the road race um, which helped which is good you know, there was lots of you know, sad stories and sobbing and you know mm. and celebration at the same time and you know our heads were spinning. You know, you're, yeah, you're, you're just loving the moment, hating the moment. And it was just back and forth and um, you know, and then road, did the road race um, and then the the so the, go back to the original question. You know, when I say yeah, what's, what's it like to win? Say, yeah, I can't just say oh, it's the greatest moment of my life because it was also perhaps the most devastating. At the same time, you know, yes. and yet it was incredible. So it, it was, it's really challenging to... It's just amazing to hear that story. It's a story you haven't told me ever. It's just, it even, it just makes my, to bring it back to myself. <laughs> Enough but, about me, let's talk about me. No, but it, it just makes that like, I'm really happy that was the way that I started cycling. Mm. You know, to say that you were my inspiration mm. and to know what that inspiration involved that whole story and it, I'm not saying that any gold medal is just one I'm sure there's a story behind every oh yeah for sure every medal and I'm, I'm happy to hear the one gold medal that meant a lot to me mm. I'm happy to hear that story from you actually it's um, oh it's a it's a privilege to be able to sit here and, and <laughs> talk to you about it I want to ask everyone three questions so there's some similarity so the questions today well the questions are um, favourite race and why you don't have to have done the race either no no okay yeah yeah um, oh look it'd probably be Roubaix yeah nice yeah, good answer mm. great answer oh look it's just got it, it's got it's own it's own story every year it's a different script you know, um, it's so much intrigue. Like it's it's re- in every other sport, they're getting safer and safer. You look at Formula One, more sanitised and yeah. safe, and it's all about OH and S. And then you go, and even in Australia, you know, races 
we had a race recently where they spoke about, um, oh, it's a criterium national championship. What happens if it rains? I'm like, what do you mean? What happens if it rains? You use your brakes and slow down. Exactly. Like, oh, but it'll get slippery. Now, then you got Paris Bay, where the roads are prehistoric. Like, it's a ridiculous race. They make it even more hard. It's, it's going even more backward. But that's its appeal. It's got yeah. so much appeal to it. Um, you know, you can see the best riders in the most atrocious conditions on the planet, and you can go and watch them for free on the side of the road. It's yeah. just a, an intriguing event. Good one. Really good answer. Um, if there wasn't cycling, what would you be doing? What would you be doing? What would you be known for? What would I be known for? Okay. Well, the two sports that I would love to have done, um, if I could choose, and you know, I probably should just choose one, but it, uh, I'd like to be either a um, um, in motorsport. Oh, yeah. So car racing driver. F1 or something. Oh, F1 would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, right. But, you know, some, yeah, it would be nice. And we'd all have these... Um, um, these moments where we think we're probably better than we really are yeah. but uh, you know, I don't know if it'd be F1 but yeah certainly motor racing would be great or uh, skiing skiing yeah Down, I, downhill yeah, skiing I like skiing too because it's still got that same sort of cycling sort of fashion to it mm. you know you got the tight lycra <laughs> yeah. yeah anything with the same fashion now yeah. for me it's not that look I just love I love the mountains yeah. really love the mountains um, look skiing itself I think it just and probably there's a couple of things with this like one of my first ever heroes was Stephen Lee mm. he's an Aussie downhill skier and as a kid growing up of all places on the Gold Coast there's not much snow going around no. up there but I used to sneak out on Thursday nights so sneak out sneak out of my bedroom Thursday nights when my parents had gone to bed and go into the lounge room and flick the TV on because late at night Channel 9 used to run um, the World Cup downhill skiing wow and Stephen Lee was the guru back then from Australia um, so I had this real attraction to, to Steve um, and f- to go full circle what was really interesting my wife for her 40th birthday wanted to have a come as you want to be when you grow up party mm. so everyone had to dress up you know in what you want to be when you grow up That's as cool if you're a kid yeah. okay so and look I don't know what, she went as a nun, I don't know why, she didn't really want to be a nun, but anyway, it was a cool outfit. And what I did through a friend, I actually contacted Stephen Lee and got one of his old racing suits and his racing helmet and his racing gloves, and I actually went as the person that I wanted to be when I was a kid. Um, So I went in Stephen Lee's um, racing kit, it was pretty cool. Nice, good one. Um, And finally, just a quick one, favourite drink? Favorite drink can be alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Well, no, it would be alcoholic. Um, (laughs) Seems to be Belgian beer. Belgian beer. Belgian beers, mate. Yeah. More specific. Uh, Duvel or or Lef. Oh, big call. Yeah, but it's the. For me, it's not not one of the Trappists. One of the seven Trappists. Yeah, one of any of. Yeah, Yeah, right. Seven, isn't there? Yeah. uh, Look, any any of the Belgian beers with that are high in alcohol, and this might sound like I'm alcoholic, but I just. When it comes to beer, and I'll try all your different Aussie beers, they're all your 4.5 percenters mm. or whatever, and they all sort of taste the same. Whereas when you have a high-alcoholic Belgian beer, it's got a whack. It's got a real hit to it. It has some real flavour, and mm. that's, that's what I like about it. You I'm can't have too many, though. No, I can, I can agree with you. I'm a big Belgian beer man. Mm. So good, good, good well, answers. I don't race anymore. You do, so you should back off the Belgian beers a bit. I should. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers.